Binge Mode with Mallory Rubin and Jason Concepcion is here to take you on a deep dive of all of your favorite franchises. Check out the recently wrapped Marvel season or check out older seasons on Thrones, Harry Potter, and more. Check out Binge Mode Marvel on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. And for all Binge Mode seasons, head on over to Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com, Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. Listeners, welcome. This is Sound Only. I'm Justin Charity. And I'm Micah Peters. We're your sound-only co-hosts, here to record our deepest, darkest thoughts about the deepest, darkest rapper, DMX. Uh, you know, as of recording, right, like DMX is in the hospital. Um, was hospitalized on April 2nd to treat a heart attack following a drug overdose. Uh, he's in White Plains Hospital right now. Uh, during the day-to-day, it was like a daytime vigil outside the hospital. This is on April 5th. Um, and yeah, like the past weekend, basically, DMX has been, you know, on life support, critical condition, vegetative state. We've, yeah, we've, there's been just, there's a lot of just wishing for DMX to make it um, that's been happening over the last couple of days. And reminiscing just about like, uh, just what an unlikely superstar he was. Is, yeah. Yeah. It's difficult to even to know what tends to talk about it then. But uh, we figured that now is as good a time as any, you know? Yeah. You know, DMX is one of those rappers, by the way. And this is, this is an unfortunate thing about celebrity, right? But DMX, over the years, right, in and out of courts, right, getting arrested a lot, sort of stories popping up with his name and drugs a lot, with family issues a lot. You know, like, there's a point at which DMX stopped being sort of a rapper. Like, we stopped talking about him as a rapper. And you mostly, he mostly existed as a series of TMZ headlines over the years, right? Right. Um, And yet, like, this... This moment is the moment where I feel like everybody sort of woke up and and we're all just like, oh, this this might be it. You know what I mean? It reminds yeah. me a lot of you remember when like years ago when we were this close to losing Lil Wayne and it was like, oh. Yes. I what do. was it in over? I can't remember what it was. was I mean, like it was one of the several times that TMZ nearly killed him. Yeah. Um yeah. It was, but yes, it was like, I think that also, really, I, I would say more so than the, the, the hell scares. It was, um, the time with like him tweeting that he was like mentally defeated and like he wanted to retire. That was the, like the, the biggest groundswell of like, you know, Kendrick Lamar rapping versus from the drought and his, uh, FaceTime camera or, you know, like every rapper tweeting, you know, Whoa, don't go, we'll miss you. More so than like the hell scares. But yes, that did also happen. Um, yeah, but you're describing though is that that prayers up moment, right? Yes. Which is always the worst moment. It's the worst moment in all of hip hop is that moment where it's just like, oh no, like, you know, it's like everybody's sort of pooling their prayers and well wishes and sort of realizing that like, oh man, we really took this person for granted. Until it was too late. Yeah. And I just, I hate that feeling. Especially in something like hip hop where it just feels like it happens all the time. 
You know what I mean? To people who are not, this isn't rock music where you're talking about, you know, the people who didn't, who didn't die like at their peak. You, you're otherwise talking about people in rock music who feel like they die at like 95 years old. <laughs> and it's just rappers. I just feel like constantly like rappers always, we always go through this with rappers when they're not even that, when they're like 45. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like D- yeah. DMX is a young a relatively young. I can say stuff like that now that I'm like 33, right? <laughs> and I can be like, yeah, yeah DMX, he's 50. DMX, yeah, he's, yeah. He's, he's 50. He's, he's, he's I mean? 50. It's, um, yeah, it, it, it is like kind of just like a, a take stock moment. Um, well, it feels like kind of unfair to be having all of these thoughts now but it's yeah. also like part of the like pre-grieving process yeah um readying yourself for the drop so to speak like I, now that it's like oh we could potentially lose this person we now need to consider like what they were to us throughout the years like all the different ways in which they added into our lives is like in DMX's case in particular, as like a force that kind of remade popular American music and the way that it was produced like towards Mm -hmm. the late 90s as a person that kind of boldly like that had it that had a habit of like confronting his demons in public on stage um and becoming like some some something of like a lifestyle brand later on in life despite being in and out of j- like in and out of jail some 30 times yeah he almost yeah. does the gucci man thing where it's sort of there's a point at which you see him struggle so grotesquely in public that you it's sort of you want to feel like you're seeing him come out on the other you end want of that to, as he gets older yeah you want to believe that he wins so that like it is possible that like no matter what it is that you are going through you'll make it because he made it through the stuff that he made it through yeah um and especially because and and maybe this is why i thought of of wayne right because wayne's another person who it's not just that wayne went through a volatile stretch is that wayne's entire life has appeared to us as a volatile stretch and dmx is the same way right like if you had told me in 2002 right if you visited me from the future and said um, yo, DMX is going to be in the hospital in a vegetative state from a drug overdose. I'd be like, wait, DMX lived to 2021? You know what I mean? Like, that would be my first reaction, right? The, to me, it's the fact of DMX having the long career he's have and had and him being this, this guy who, like, down to his first album, right, his entire musical gist in a lot of ways is him exercising demons in this it's just really like heightened white way. knuckling it yeah just yeah I mean, but for ye- for decades for years right? yeah, yeah for yeah. years um and like it's just you would suspect somebody that had such like druggy vitality that like was like that has a rise that's that meteoric like would like burn up on re-entry or something or like you know Yes, it's it would be like it is remarkable that like he's made it this long. Yeah. And you know, you want him to keep making it. <laughs> yeah. You're talking about somebody who's talked about smoking crack at age 14. Like that's yes. that's the sense, right? And then beyond that being like that not being at all a sort of but repressed... also a person that couldn't like find a home anywhere. Yeah. Like yeah. in a really profound way. Like yeah. I think that there was I've cause because I mean like when we were we were texting about it earlier, I started watching um just because like I hadn't really revisited the like the whole uh Rough Rider saga in a while. Like so I was just mm-hmm. watching this beat this BT produced segment where they were telling the entire story about um like how x was on rough house and released born loser and that was like he was then released by the label because the 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 single didn't pop on radio and he just felt rejected and he'd sell cassette tapes out in front of his own apartment like all while like 
robbing and sticking people like all the time to to eat, basically. And just like it's like a story of somebody that worked their way from the outside in and had to create like the way that the, the way the BT documentary frames it is like kind of a little fantastical and feeding into the mythology of like X and DMX and Earl Simmons are three different alter egos and he uses mm-hmm. them to protect himself. And like, you know, X is like, uh, that's the unknown and DMX is like the entertainer and Earl is like, you know, the sweetheart. But the thing is that like, they're all the same person and this person, like it's, um, like it's remarkable, even like in the straight to camera interviews in the, in, in the documentary, the way that like he retreats into himself as he's answering questions about like his mom yeah, or about like being hurt that like his first rap mentor gave him a crack lace blunt at 14. Yeah. But also that was the person that taught him how to rap, you know? And really like not like very visibly still at the time of the documentary came out, I think like at 45 or whatever, still not being like really okay, but having found a way to make it work for him so that he can move through daily life. Yeah. It's funny too, because when you mentioned the alter egos, right? That feels like such a, a late nineties rap thing. Right, you think of Slim mm-hmm. Shady, or you think of Nas being Pablo, you, you being Escobar, right? Yeah. But DMX is the is the guy where you're like, no, I I totally I see totally that he believe to, like to think of himself this way, right? Yeah, like, like him coping yeah. in this manner of like compartmentalizing himself, you know? I mean, because it's just like the way that he talks is like jittery and defensive, you know. It's like you can see it all. You can see trauma all over him all the time. Um, yeah, yeah. That it's like you. But the the point about his voice, right? Like you can hear it, and that's that's the thing that feels like the unlikeliest thing about this guy. Like to this moment in time, right, where you hear somebody who talks like that, and the idea that he could turn that voice into like the hottest records on the hot 100 <laughs> for like a, a few years. It's, it's wild. You go from somebody who sounds like, like wheels coming off of a bus and he actually makes that hot. He makes that work. And I mean, like having such an emotional connection with his fan base that he had like niggas crying front like on front stage. <laughs> like yeah. when he was when he when he would be performing. Like and oh man, it's just like the uplifting corny sheen of it is just like it's just so special to me. Like have you do you remember did you see Top Five, the the, no, the Chris Rock movie? Uh uh-uh. okay. Now you know they it's Chris Rock uh is plays a successful comedian that has started, you know, has stopped doing stand up for reasons both material and immaterial, and like needs to find his groove back by going back to his old neighborhood where everybody has a top five discussion all the time. But well, the, explain the top five discussion, the, the top five the top discussion five is just like, you know, top five rap, like, who's your top five rappers? And it's just kind of like, oh, blah, 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 blah. And just a brief interjection here because I loved the GQ interview and like uh, that DMX did after he was released from prison for tax evasion. And like, the interview goes like, yo, like, so do you have a top five? And he was like, no. And he's like, why do you? <laughs> and he's just like, why not? And he's just like, the entire concept is stupid because you're putting up rappers that have one great album against somebody that might have seven. And then what if it was a moment in time versus whatever? Yeah. <laughs> like, that was so, I, I fuck with that heavily. But um, anyway, the person that eventually convinces Chris Rock to go back to doing stand-up is DMX. And he meets him, like, after, like, you know, spending a night in holding. And he's just like, he's just like, yeah, I, I don't know. It's just like, I was in a dark place. And, like, you know, this voice just came to me. And it's just like, off screen you hear, <laughs> <laughs> and he was just like, X, is that you? And he was just like, 
He's like, hell yeah, man. I'm, you know, like I live in this motherfucker, man. Like, you know, and then he goes and starts singing Smile, but he's just like, you know, I just feel like I got more to offer than just being a rapper. And he's just like, I, and then he starts singing Smile by Natalie Cole. <laughs> smile, though your heart is aching. Smile, though your heart is breaking. <laughs> that's such an essentially GMX like bit, though. Like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's smile, that's motherfucker. Yeah, it's like, it's, it is so, it is such a wonderful moment. Like, <laughs> But yeah, it's like that being the same person that like came out covered in blood with like, you know, pit bulls on chains and stuff is like, it's really fun. It's like, it's all of that is, it's just like a, it's just a remarkable career. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about the music. Let's go back instead of talk about the career as such. Um, Because I've been thinking about it a lot for like the past few days and I think you have been too. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually we're great, but together we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, Restrictions all apply. See website for details. So, okay. Why don't you, as a person who was there, as a as a person who was a young man on Wall Street at the time, why don't you tell me <laughs> about what it was like when DMX entered the rap game, Justin Charity? Oh, is that like a, you doing an age thing? Hold on. First of all, <laughs> I got to tell you. So my sister, my sister's older than me, right? And um, I, I'll say this. I, I do want to get this on the record. DMX was, like I said before, I'm 33, right? DMX was my first favorite rapper, right? I even remember to this day, I remember vividly, I remember vividly the, the way I got into It's Dark and Hell is High. because my sister's older than me. And everything from my sister's books to my sister's uh, music, right? Like, all, all the stuff I got into was just because I was, like, intrusive and I was a little brother who went into my sister's room and stole stuff. And I remember... Same, same. ...that I just saw that... I saw the the CD cover. No, it might have been the tape cover, honestly. It might have been the tape. I can't remember if it was cassette. But for It's Dark and Hell is Hot. And I took it. And I listened to it. And in the, you know what I mean, like, and that was it. That was it. I think it, it might have been. And like, the dark the time, magic began to course through me. It might have been that I took both flesh of my flesh and as dark and hell is hot. Um, and you know, I think back all the time of like, why? What does it say about me that I was that young? And the first rap music that really sort of put its hooks in me, in the same way that like Sailor Moon put its hooks in me. <laughs> DMX, you know what I mean? Like that's I, you so, know, it, it wasn't like some, really it wasn't funny. some. Oh, we having parties in the park shit. It was a guy rapping about Satan and it's depression. Like, it's just like you were just in your room. <laughs> what was I doing? 
doing the Damien voice to yourself. Yeah, and like barking. <laughs> like, why, like I wouldn't. That is the enigma of my life, and it tracks right. Like over time, it's like my personality develops in a way that, like, I totally get how, in retrospect, DMX was the first rap music that really got its hold on me, but. Yeah, you know, I can't speak to. I wasn't in the clubs. I wasn't that old. It's not like I was. In, I wasn't in New York. All I can tell you is what nah, it was I mean, like being in my bedroom as like an introverted younger brother, and being like, "Yeah, there's something. This music has a sort of insight, and I don't even know what insight is at that age, but I just know that there's some. There's like an intimacy to this guy, sounding." a little addled and, and demonic and possessed and sort of at war with himself, right? Mm -hmm. That's what I can speak to. I don't know. What was your responsibility? Like, that's the thing. If I feel like in the the sort of early DMX, right? So it's dark and hell is hot. Mm -hmm. Flash of my flash. All the way basically up through Party Up in Here being the, the biggest song in the world, right? I feel like in the beginning, you had the element of DMX that was like... <laughs> I don't know. He just had like a, a good. I mean, I specifically remember coming into a fascination with DMX around the time of like Def Jam Vendetta. Like, I mean, like this is like when he is <laughs> yes! Yes! kind of like already a like fully realized cultural product has yeah. like several of the biggest club records in the world that like people I mean, like everybody's parents play at pool parties and whatnot, like the editors, <laughs> obviously. But I mean, you know, get it on the floor, party up, it, like all this other stuff. Like you know, when he was having like having some of the big biggest pop records in the world. But like as I understand it, like the way that he entered the rap game was kind of like as uh, I don't want to say like the antithesis to like the kind of aspirational sheen of like what commercial rap was maybe on, on the whole at the time. Like, I mean, if you like all the oral histories around, around, uh, as dark as hell is hot and like, and blood of my blood is like, um, like the, the, the involved parties talking about how, you know, bad boy was supposed to be all the, you know, niggas from the street, but they were wearing Versace and like all these and all this jewelry like that, you know, the have nots didn't have, you know, like you couldn't get there from where you were at. But X was wearing like Carhartt overalls and like Columbia rain gear and sitting in the middle of nowhere, like maybe near you i like i have like it's, it was just like quite, it was kind of like it was accessible and like ugh, i hate using the word gritty but you know that's what it was like there was like a kind of like authenticity to be commodified there yeah but i i think i still think of those first i think on the first cds right if you listen to how's it going down you listen to slipping there's a smoothness to those records that I think disappears later on in DMX's career. And I think the smoothness of, especially how's it going down, like that is DMX kind of responding, right? Like kind of responding to that bad boy, to that sort of how do I, how do I fit in with yeah, the smoother shit that the locks are doing or the bad boys doing. You know what I mean? Like you can, there is some impulse to fit in and that stuff. Re I do remember that stuff resonating. Like those songs are hot. Like how's it going down is one of DMX's best songs, but it, but sort of in the long arc of his career, it feels kind of repressive in a, in a way of like what he actually like meant and what his act, what his real sort of most potent, personality is ultimately does that make sense like no 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 no. i do at, like i take your point because it's also like well i mean it's right there in the vocal performance of like of of the track where it's like in order to make a for the lady song he has to like suppress some like some some vital part of himself the thing that makes him the 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 thing that makes him himself i guess and like the result is like a good song, 
but it, I, I mean, like, you know, it feels, yes, it feels like a, a, it feels a little like a label note. It's wild to me that DMX had a voice that you could put a song, you could put on a song like that. Like, how's it going down? And you could have him be real smooth and real slick and real deep, you know, in this very sultry way. And yet, right, and, and it perfectly works as a chorus. And yet, you and I both know that that is not the right use of DMX's voice. The right use of DMX's voice on a hook is DMX shouting about the devil, <laughs> right? Like even <laughs> even with that voice, even with that sultriness, it's like, no, nah, that's not that's not DMX. Real DMX is, you know. What what these bitches want? <laughs> what these bitches want for it? Yeah, you know what I mean. Like, like that's, um, but yeah, and I think that that's what's so wild. It's like eat, think about the fact that you have you have like Drew Hill. You have him do like one of the biggest songs in the world with Drew Hill, and he turns it into a DMX song. Like you remember when um Jada Kiss and Beans was were beefing, and like it was after. It was after like Siegel did Unleash the Dragon and like Jadakiss made fun of him for doing a song with, with Cisco. And it's like, it's it's totally true. If you go back and listen to that song, that definitely sounds like a Drew Hill song that that Beanie Siegel sort of awkwardly tried to fit himself on. Mm. The inverse of that. Oh, they, oh is, wait. No, I do. Oh, shit. I do remember that song because it was just like that. Make me yeah. Unleash the Dragon. You know what I mean? Like. Unleash the dragon. I don't know, you know your name on it. Yeah, it's just like, and it's like, it, it's like be, beans on that record is like your dad in skinny jeans. It doesn't work. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't work. But then you have the inverse of that, right? Is DMX totally turning an R and B record into a DMX record, and like no one pulls that off. But yeah, him, the way that the, like no one has made a song like that song. Only DMX and and and, Cisco, and Drill could have made that song. Yeah, that was also like uh, that era of 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 uh, DMX in um, Croc leather jackets as an action star. <laughs> yeah, like like a, Cradle to the Grave is absolutely nonsensical, but I've never seen anyone do so many cool and like you know bad guy made me things in a pair of Tims. <laughs> Yeah, that it's it's wild to me that we turned DMX into a legit like we we let D, we DMX was going for the LL route, right? Like he was doing the LL Cool J turn of like we're gonna let this dude do action movies that aren't reviewed particularly well. <laughs> um, <laughs> like he's kind of the route that he. Was. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like the movie is. Could he have been in SWAT? So, yes. The, like that movie really is so deliriously nonsensical that it builds to this ecstatic sequence where Jet Li is fighting an entire octagon's worth of MMA fighters one at a time while click, click, pull plays in the background. And DMX is riffing through the streets of Los Angeles on an ATV being chased by two guys on dirt bikes. <laughs> um, I really can't recommend me watching Cradle to the Grave enough. <laughs> uh, I saw it in theaters, actually. Wow. I actually think I saw it with my mom in yes. theaters. I think I actually saw it with my mom. <laughs> Yo, I'm, I don't think I'm making. I think I, I legit. Oh, you saw the that. smarty on. You the smarty on. <laughs> I think my mom took me to see Cradle to Grave in theaters. <laughs> oh no. Uh, uh, yeah, I think she took me to see like Romeo Must Die, Cradle to Grave. <laughs> it was a different time. People don't. It know. really was. It really was quite. It was a very different time where Jet Li was wearing the wooden bead choker, and yeah. um. <laughs> Yeah, it was a it was a very different time. Anyway, but that's the thing. Everything about everything about DMX is so incongruous, right? Like if you take so party up in here, right? Biggest song DMX's career, the ultimate sort of ubiquitous song. They were playing that song in middle school gyms. I know because I was there. <laughs> <laughs> but like that song is a man shouting about listen. <laughs> Your body is about to be missing. You know who go find you? Some old man fishing. And like, 
Like, <laughs> like they play, I'm, I'm not, is, I'm telling it, you. No, like it's, Everywhere I, they played the Macarena, they also played that song of DMX shouting about killing people. I mean... That's how, that's how big DMX was, and it made no sense. Like, it's wild. It's wild to consider that a guy with that sort of voice and that personality... I wouldn't say, and, and again, it's sort of the difference between early on, right? When it seems like DMX knows how to sort of navigate, I think, some of the commercial trends of hip hop at the time. And he's like, okay, part of this is going to be me trying to fit into hip hop. And part of this is going to be, you know, hip hop, me bending hip hop to me. But then by the time you get to party up in here, it's like, this guy has bent the entirety of radio, not just rap radio, but radio Rhythmic around radio. Him. Yeah, the whole yeah. thing. Like it's in a way it makes no sense. It feels like there there was some sort of disruption in the space time fabric to allow that to happen. Because I guess the main point of comparison at the time, right? And I've thought about this comparison a lot in the past few days is Eminem, right? Because you have the similar thing of. A rapper who's a big part of their appeal is that they will say the things that are taboo and that they are sort of a lot of what they're doing by being a rapper and by by being a public persona is that they're processing a lot of sort of real personal you know yeah I mean like they're, psychological they're, they're, they have a song together they called go to sleep where there is a bridge in there where they're just going die motherfucker die motherfucker die yeah um yeah it's like it's they are yes it is uh to the i mean it feels trite to say troubled but like troubled people like exercising really deep ugly stuff on wax yeah and i think the difference though right is that like when we talk about Eminem now I think so much of I think so many modern conversations about Eminem are colored by people sort of just we know that Eminem has kept making music and he's he's made sort of more recent hits than DMX and sort of I think a lot of a, a lot of the conversation about Eminem is colored by the fact that he's white is colored by the fact that a lot of people who maybe were fans of him in 1999 don't like the the sort of direction that his musical career took by like the 2010s there's a and lot of complicating factors with eminem right also like people that were fans of 1999 don't like the direction that rap music in general has in general. gone since then <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> right is also and, another wrinkle of that right and i think that but i think part of that and it's also i don't know eminem always had a kind of self-conscious goofiness and wanting to make everything into a bit and we're the big you know, stop making sense suit and all that stuff. And I think over time, it's become easier to be like, oh, Eminem is just an edgelord, right? Like all of that stuff was just edgelord shit. But you have to remember at the time, Slim Shady LP at the time, that that stuff was genuinely subversive. And you did look at Eminem and go, this guy might kill his family. Like what is going on with this dude? Right. Um, but even also at the time, there was that sense of there was edge, but there was just enough jokiness to take just enough of the edge off. And to me, the thing about DMX was always that DMX never had that part. It was yeah, all there was, edge. Yeah, there were no jokes. Like there's, it was, actually, that was another part of uh, the GQ profile where he's just kind of like, it's actually impossible to have like a lighthearted conversation with this person. <laughs> what yeah. do you like to do after dinner? Drink. Um, you know, do you like candy? Now and later. Uh, do you have cavities? I don't have a whole lot of teeth left. It's like, you can't really have like a conversation, like a, like a, you can't have small talk with this person. Yeah. You never, even though I think in some ways DMX and Eminem represented similar strains of like using music to process your demons it's just it's so different when you remove that element when you remove like with Eminem there's always the thing of well really what he's doing is satire and social commentary and then with DMX it's just like I don't know he just crazy <laughs> he just he, he just did a bunch of drugs and he's crazy and you better watch out for that man you know what I mean and I th I mean I think that's sort of the perception of someone like DMX at the time um 
But I don't know. There's, it's so fascinating to me, right? Because it's not just... I think a lot of rap music gets written off as just people shouting threats and like fantasizing about pulling guns on people, right? But the tension in DMX's music is that it's also like the most decisively Christian rap that has ever like even even beyond sort of Kanye, right? It's so decisively the half of it that's not about sticking people up and killing people and leaving them in ditches is about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You know what I mean? Like that's wild. It's yeah. wild. Um and it's like I was talking I who I think I was talking to like Sam Donsky the other day. He was he was pointing out that like you know, DMX, I think more than a lot of rappers at the time, is just like super homophobic, right? Like just a lot of uncomfortable stretches of Oh, songs. yeah. Like, I mean, we're talking about where the hood the at, entire right? entire last verse of Get At Me Dog. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, even, even that stuff, even the genuinely just straight up hateful, antisocial elements of DX, DMX's albums, right? It's like, these are albums in, where you have like prayer skits and you have a guy like for all his hatefulness, he's also very clear minded about the fact that he is not a great person. And for whatever reason, like listening to DMX albums over the years, right? There's just a sense of a guy managing to synthesize all of the all of the best and like the very best and the very worst elements of like evangelical Christian compassion into rap music is the weird thing with him. Right. Like all of the, all of the sort of regressive stuff that makes people feel sort of alienated from Christian faith, but also the stuff where you're just like, yeah, this guy is like, I don't know. This guy is a Christian and he's not making Christian rap, but he he's really interested in using this music to like I don't know, find or or to tap some spirituality within him, right? And I I it's like corny to talk about, but when you look at the fact that in tandem with that, what was happening? I don't know, Jay-Z, right? Like the what did Jay-Z wanna wanna use rap music to engage with at the time? Well, like capitalism and like making money and milestones for like black wealth and black excellence in America. And that's less interesting to me than what DMX was trying to do. What DMX was trying to do is to use all of those things to like yeah, to better like to actually make sense of himself and it seemed like an earnest messy attempt at that um not and like unsympathetic a, and like an unsympathetic attempt an at that. unsympathetic attempt at that yes yeah uh and i don't know that that's powerful to me and it's powerful to me now when i think about it but i i don't know it seemed like over the years i don't know it certainly seemed at the time by the time that dmx had started to fall off, right? Which is like after where the hood at, sort of around, I guess it's like years after Grand Champ, right? I don't know. There's this sense of DMX being, you know, one like Jay didn't fall off, right? You have people from that generation. You have Jay, you have Kanye, you have these rappers that manage not only to keep making hits, but to sell, I think, the idea that the most interesting thing that rappers from their generation were doing was like, again, making more money than any other rapper had ever made. Right. Or like making, making their commercial success into a sort of meta narrative. And I don't know, man, it's just like, I think someone like DMX became quaint. Well, he was, he was, the thing is that like, it's because, uh, because he was primarily concerned with being the best, and then and then subsequently with being okay. I don't think that that really that that leads to being quaint in the later in the latter years of your career because you're not. I mean, like in essential terms, like a careerist, like you. Yeah, that's that's the thing that like is is I think 
what makes DMX like such a cult here. Like, I mean, like a superstar, obviously, but also like in the latter stage, like in the in his forties, a cult hero. Yeah, it's also that he's such a direct connection with, you know, all the post SoundCloud South Florida rappers that we have a hard time talking about sometimes for ethical reasons, right? Like he's mm-hmm. more of a direct connection, right? The trouble, yeah, hateful but also talented and insightful. Like, that storm of talent and emotions, that cr- th- like that connects way more directly with a triple X and Tashion, right, than Jay-Z ever can, right? Or, or even Kanye, frankly, ever can. Like, Kanye can make beats and do a collab with those guys, but Kanye is not that. DMX is that. Um... And maybe that, I don't know, maybe in part that explains why I think in recent years it's sort of been easier to like see DMX pop up in like those meme headlines or in those interviews where somebody's like, damn, I wonder what DMX is up to. Let's do like a magazine interview with DMX. You know, it's easy. I think maybe that that sort of reboot for a lot of rap sensibilities is is it kind of plugged DMX back in. A little bit. Yeah. I mean... Does um, that make sense? Yeah, it does. I mean, like, it was kind of... uh, Like, post-Sunday service was, like, a new phase of his career. Yeah. Where, yeah, he's just kind of, like, he's a, he's a, he's a cultural figure rather than simply, like, an artist. Yeah. Can we speculate a little bit about why DMX like fell off? Because I I think it's actually kind of a. I think DMX really, I think the Rough Riders in general, frankly, really wedded themselves to like a certain style of production, right? Like all those DMX records are, it's like Dame Grease, Swiss Beats, and I think with Swiss in particular, I think. Man, if you were really, if you in the sort of Timbaland versus Swiss schism, and then in the sort of Swiss versus like Kanye just blaze sensibility, if you were sort of, if you were one of the people who's more so dependent on Swiss beats, I feel like you just didn't really come out of that decade sort of on the right side of, of production sensibilities. Like there's just something about no, where DMX's sound ended like up that, by the Great Depression. Not- it's it's well the songs rather than like say like the earlier nineties like Irv Gotti stuff, you know, with you know, riding subway energy or whatever. The the, yeah. the other stuff feels specifically of a time. Like it feels excessive and like not defined by like the kind of I don't know. It's not restraint, but like those other, like those other records are like smoldering, and these are like kind of like bombastic. Yeah, and they're just brassy. They're just yes, so brassy. every single brassy, one of them is so brassy. Is like yeah. the way is 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 a good word for it. Like, I mean, yeah, like they feel like mid two thousands records. Yeah, no, but I still think that like there's a way you could say like, you know. Those those early Kanye hits also feel like mid two thousands records. It's just that they feel like the wrong kind of mid two thousands record. And maybe I'm being too prescript- prescriptive when I say that. It's just that I don't know. I it feels like a waste to me in some ways that DMX fell off in the way that he did because I I think of DMX in the same way I think of someone like Rick Ross, right? Where you're talking about a rapper who has a voice. And their voice is more than just, oh, okay, th- their voice sounds like this. They have a signature. They ride beats in a certain way. They deploy their vo- voice in a certain way. Like DMX's voice is like Godzilla's atomic breath, right? It can cut through buildings, right? <laughs> and to me, that's a kind of person who I get protective of, frankly, because I'm like, no, no, no. You have, you don't just have a gift, you have a kind of weapon. And that weapon empowers you to ride beats that other people can't. Like, that was the thing, like, peak Rick Ross, right? Like, Teflon Don Rick Ross. Like, 
so many rem- like the remarkable thing about so many of those hits is that they're they're he got on beats that if other people had gotten on those beats, those beats would have swallowed him whole. Right? It's like only Rick Ross could sort of bark his way over all of the loud loudness and bombast. And there's just something about like, I don't know, the production of like the Great Depression and Grand Champ, where I'm just like, nah, if anything, the beats need to be bigger. But they needed to be, I don't know, they they were just a little too monotonous, right? Like they were brassy. They were all kind of the same beat after a point. Um and I've just always resented that. I don't know. I've just always resented because I'm just like DMX's voice can do anything. Yeah. It can cut through anything. Give um, this man the biggest beats in the land, if anything. Well, I mean, like if there's one reason, like beats is one reason for why um, DMX fell off. And the other one is obviously jail. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm discounting jail as a yeah. factor. All this. Jail, jail's big factor. Yeah. <laughs> um, Many a um, rap career has been suspended by jail. Um, that's fair. Um, he did also say in that interview that he said that, you know, his most recent stint in jail wasn't like any easier, but in fact, harder than all of his previous stints. So that he used to find jail fun. He's like, jail used to be fun. Like I used to be like, I'd sneak around to other people's cell blocks of battle people and like rap battle people. And, you know, like I buy wine from like other like it was just like, yeah, jail used to be fun. Like and now it's like not fun because like there's other stuff I think I could be doing, which is also kind of sad. That is the it is. But it, it has like a twinge of this sort of real rap argumentation. Yeah. Of like back in my day, yeah. back in my day, rap was like this. But yeah. DMX's version is back in my day. Jail fun. used to be fun. Yeah. Jail used to be fun. Like we used to. Yeah. I, I mean. Wow. Only DMX. <laughs> I think a lot of rappers have a lot of ways of using hip hop to exercise their demons, to sort of try to convince themselves to be better people, right? To sort of sermonize at themselves, right? And it's like you listen to DMX and you can hear the traces of Scarface. You can hear the Tupac. You can hear the Lauren Hill in his voice. And yet, He's such a distinct thing unto himself. Like his DMX's project to me was just so specific and frankly bizarre, right? Like the, and again, the, the morality play aspect of it, right? Like you were talking about a rapper who was such like a loudly hateful, violent voice. And the way he sort of shotgunned that to being a guy who has these like super sincere stretches of his albums where he becomes a youth minister. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yes. who else, who else does that? Not only who else was doing that, but just sort of who else would do that? Um, there's a messiness to that. I know we were talking about it before, but it's just there's a messiness to DMX that. I don't know. It's just, it's, it should be the most alienating thing in the world, but it was the opposite. And yet it is totally disarming. Yeah. I like, I've, it was, you know, this, this, this past weekend being, you know, Easter weekend, I Mm -hmm. was, and the situation being what it was, I was just watching. And listening to like the series of like DMX prayers, like the, and there was the one that like a uh, prayer number six that he did on that, that talk show. Um, it's like, and I think that I can't, I, I just don't, I, I, I feel like there's just not a better note to go out on, like, than just to like have some uplifting raven words from, uh, from DMX. I guess what I'm asking is, Show me how to stand for you. And I will rap for you, sing for you, preach for you, teach for you, reach for you. I will love you like you love me, unconditionally. So yeah, uh, this is like the, well, that, that was one of the skits from The Great Depression, uh, which came out in 2001. You're, you're one of your least favorite DMX projects. But um, yeah, it's just like, 
again, like we were saying before, it's it's so earnest that you can't help but be but be uplifted by it. Uh, just to be clear, it is not. It's it's not that it's one of my least favorite. It's that the songs I like on it are not the hits on the Great Depression. To be clear, like, mm. I like Trina Mo and School Street. Great Depression. Um, I'm glad you cleared that up. Yeah. I don't know, man. Mikey, you ain't know me in college, but like, I sobbed for the last 200 pages of Les Miserables, the novel by Victor Hugo. Y'all got me out here feeling like DMX is Jean Valjean. I swear <laughs> to God. I hate this feeling. Oh my God. <laughs> I hate this feeling. I really do. I really do, man. Like, it's just so again it it sucks rap music subjects us to this so much with rappers we lose rappers all the time and it sucks but it just really sucks when it's a guy who like everything just about his voice you have heard him since 1998 that just the tremble in his voice that every time you resonated with the dmx song it was because you you felt that instability, that shakiness, that sense of a man like who's right on the brink of falling apart. And now here we are. And it sucks, man. I hate this. With all that said, I'm Justin Charity. And I'm Micah Peters. Shouts out to our producer, Erica Cervantes. We'll see y'all next week. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.